Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Nice to see you all here this morning. If you're worshiping with us as a guest today, why we're delighted that you're here, and we hope that you'll come back uh, after the Christmas season. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, we uh, we want to welcome you this morning as well. We're glad that you have joined us uh, in this celebration of the birth of Christ. You know, we've been in this series now for the last five weeks where we've been exploring these marvelous, powerful names that uh, Isaiah laid down for us about 700 years before the birth of Christ, and we've come to the last one today. Hopefully, you've learned well the verse that we've been going through. Maybe you can say it by by heart. I hope you can, but uh, we're going to read it out loud together this morning once again in unison. You ready? For us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace is a beautiful image to contemplate, especially on this day, at this very brink of the season, as we get ready to celebrate Christmas. As with mighty God and everlasting Father, there are two concepts here that need to be unpacked so that we understand this, well, this name in all of its beauty. The first is that of royalty, prince of peace. A prince, of course, is a prince because he's a son of the king. This name, I believe, is a sneak peek at who Jesus is. He is a descendant of King David, but he would not arrive as a conquering hero as the name Mighty God might suggest. He came as a son, his advent or arrival being that of perfectly human. I mean, he was born in every way just like all the rest of us have been born. Anything less than a human birth would disqualify him as our Savior. You know, Jesus had to experience every human aspect of life in order to be the substitute for our sin. And in speaking about his sacrificial priestly role, the writer of Hebrews makes this observation. this, This is important. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And so the son, the prince, came to experience the totality of human life. He didn't come for a quick visit. No, he came to be with us. As a matter of fact, that very principle, that very truth, reminds us of the, of the fact that Isaiah gives us a sixth name. We've had the five, wonderful, counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But if you go back two chapters, it's a passage we often read at Christmas as well. It goes like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, folks, means God with us. Now, I don't know about you. But I have a lot of questions <clears throat> that, that aren't answered in Scripture. I'm looking forward to someday being able to ask God about these questions. I, I mean, you know, the white space between the verses of Scripture is new frontier for curiosity. You know what I mean? For instance, did Eve ever eat any more fruit after that day in the garden? Did Noah sleep well when it rained? Did Solomon have the marriage vows memorized? 
Did Moses avoid bushes whenever he could? Did Peter ever try walking on water? Would any woman have married Paul if he had asked? There are a lot of unanswered questions in Scripture. There's a lot of unanswered questions about Christmas I would like to know. I, I, wouldn't you? For instance, where was that manger located? Was it in a stable or was it in a cave? Did, did Joseph track down a, a midwife to help Mary with the delivery? Where did they find the pieces of cloth to wrap around the baby? Did Mary object at first to smelly shepherds coming to pay tribute to the newborn baby? How many nights did Jesus actually sleep in that manger before they found a room in a house or in the inn? I realize these questions aren't really all that important. I'd like to know the answers. I'd like to know more about the story. But I can tell you this this morning. The name Emmanuel answers the most important questions about Christmas, the questions that really matter. For instance, Emmanuel answers the question of who? Who is the principal character of Christmas? And some of you would say, well, that's easy. It's Mary and Joseph because of their obedience. Or, no, it's the baby Jesus, obviously. And some would say, it is God the Father who designed the whole story because of his deep compassion for those of us who are lost. All of that is true. But really, when you get down to it, the principal character of Christmas is you and me. Do you realize that if we weren't lost, if we were not separated from God by our sin, there wouldn't be a need for Christmas. Jesus wouldn't have had to come. The whole story, the whole advent is because of your need and my need. We are the character, the principal characters of Christmas. Emmanuel answers the question of where? Now, our immediate response is, of course, Bethlehem. That's what the prophet Micah had foretold. That's actually where Jesus was born. But the question is actually deeper than a mere location on a map. The where of Christmas is best answered with us. Remember, Emmanuel means God with us. Christmas becomes nothing more than a brazen commercial holiday if Jesus remains absent from our lives. Uh, folks, without Jesus, you could just pick any day or any reason to accomplish the gift-giving and family-gathering aspect of the holiday. I mean, we could celebrate Boxing Day like they do in, in Great Britain. The, the gift-giving day when you give a gift that is in a box, thus the name Boxing Day. Or why not just take some other day and make it special, like, like Groundhog's Day. Colors of brown and gray would adorn our homes as the great hog comes up from his burrow to give gifts to one and all. If you want to give gifts, any day will do. If you want to get together with family, any day will do. The point of Christmas is remembering the incarnation, the, the coming, the advent of the living God into our world. He is with us. I suspect most of us have seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special that comes on year after year on television. When it was in production way back in 1965, TV executives wanted to change the content of the story because it actually contains the real story. But thankfully it stayed in. You probably know the part. Charlie Brown picked out an ugly tree. Everyone laughed at him, including his faithful dog, Snoopy. And, and Charlie just shouts for somebody to please tell him the meaning of Christmas. 
It's then that Linus sort of takes center stage and quotes from Luke chapter 2, all about the birth of Jesus. You see, with, without him, there is no Christmas. Emmanuel answers the question of how. This was no ordinary event, and so it could not come in any ordinary way. Our Lord's birth was a unique, one-of-a-kind birth. Isaiah had proclaimed it so hundreds of years before. Now, in the Bible, we find four means of, of life. Number one was out of dust. God made Adam out of dust. Number two, God made Eve out of a rib from Adam's side. So one is dust, one is, one is rib. The third one, of course, is natural birth as we all came into this world. And the fourth way to new life is the virgin birth as spelled out in Isaiah. And you say, why why a virgin birth? Because the virgin birth is God's signature on Christmas. Now, let me see if I can explain it this way. Take a look at this picture on the screen. <clears throat> What's your first thought when you see that? Is it, wow, where can I get a seed for an elephant shrub? <laughs> I don't think so. Or check out this picture. Now, it's distant. You can't see it very well, but those are cows feeding out in that field. You know, and you say... Wow, how do, how do cows get to look? <clears throat> it's easy. If you put your feed in the form of a cross, <laughs> cows will look religious. It's just the way it is. Now, the elephant shrub and the cows in the field did not just happen on their own. They had a grand designer, somebody who created the moment. The Savior's grand birth was not an achievement of mere human conception. It is the product of a divine plan. Because without it, it's just nothing but an ordinary birth. And you say, well, I, I just can't believe in something so unrealistic. Really? Really? Take a look at this uh, picture of Louise Joy Brown. She just turned 40 this year. She was the first test tube baby ever born. Do you remember Dolly the sheep? Dolly died 15 years ago, but lived six and a half years. Dolly was the very first cloned animal. I mean, and, and science has continued to work on that. This year, 2018, uh, it was reported that there has now been a primate. The first primate has been cloned, a monkey. I, I don't even remember that hitting the news. If we can clone a sheep, if we can create a test tube baby, then the God of the universe can pull off a virgin birth. And you say, how important is that truth? It, it matters, folks. He couldn't be Emmanuel, God with us, without it. If he was nothing but the product of human conception, he wouldn't be God in the flesh. And if he wasn't human, or if he wasn't divine and was totally human, then he would and could not be God's son. And if he was not God's son, if there was nothing of the divine in him, then he couldn't be our savior. Do you see how this, it's like a row of dynamos. You, you, you take one out and all the rest of them start collapsing. These royal names, Prince and Emmanuel, answer the most important questions of Christmas. But there is a second descriptor here, and it is the word peace. Prince of peace. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when I think of the word peace, I think of the absence of conflict. We conjure up images of what we consider peaceful. 
Uh, no aches or pains and a skip in my step. That, that's uh, a peaceful day. Or blue skies, 70 degrees, no humidity with a gentle breeze. That's a peaceful day. A placid lake nestled in the mountains with the fall foliage surrounding it. That's a peaceful scene. But our, our concept of peace is often very superficial. It's something that we see or it's something that we feel. The Hebrew word shalom in its depth has much more meaning to it than our typical understanding of peace. It's more than just a greeting. Shalom points to wholeness with God. It describes a harmonious relationship that comes when a debt has been fully paid. You know how you feel when, when you're debt free from something? You just feel like a burden has been lifted from your shoulders. There is a sense of peace that comes over us. You see, shalom expresses the deepest measure of contentment in life. That's what the Prince of Peace does for us. Regardless of the chaotic circumstances in your life, regardless of the pain, the sorrow, the anguish, the depth of everything, there is a peace, there is a contentment, and there is a joy that comes inside because of the presence of Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace. At Christmas, we often paint this idyllic scene around the manger with the shepherds and the angels. And, and I suppose it was around the manger. But it wasn't that way in Bethlehem. It wasn't that way in Judea. It wasn't that way in the world. The Romans had, uh, had oppressed the Jewish nation. The puppet king Herod was one of the wickedest men that ever walked on the face of the earth. And when he learned that there, there was a king that was born in Bethlehem, somebody he thought that might rival his throne, even though he was an old man at the time, when he found out, he sent his soldiers to the community of Bethlehem and they began to kill the boys two years old and younger so he could eliminate any threat to the throne. An angel had warned Joseph in a dream and so Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were on their way to Egypt for a period of time to escape what Herod would do. So while we paint this beautiful picture of peace around the manger, it's anything but peace in the rest of Bethlehem and the rest of the world. True peace, then, is not the absence of conflict. It is not the absence of struggle. It is not the absence of heartache. It is not the absence of sorrow. It is contentment in the midst of all of those things. And only the Prince of Peace can give that to you. This year marks the 70th anniversary of what history remembers as the Berlin Airlift. Uh, shortly after World War II, the Soviets tried to squeeze the Allies out of West Berlin and West Germany. And so what they did was they blockaded every railroad, every road, every river that entered into Berlin and tried to starve the people out. The one thing they couldn't control at that point in time was the air. And so the United States and our allies began to flood the, the airport there in West Berlin with airline flights carrying food and clothing and anything that was necessary. It began on June 22nd, 1948, and the flights continued for 462 straight days, a total of 278,228 flights made their way into the blockaded city, delivering more than 2.3 million tons of supplies. Now, in that fall of the year, Pilot Colonel Gail Halverson noticed how the children of Berlin would gather up around the, the fence that surrounded the airport. And he, he had an idea. And one day he went over to the kids and uh, talked to them. And he told them, he said, now, if you'll be here the t tomorrow, I will drop candy 
because he thought these kids need something to encourage them. And they said, well, how will we know it's your airplane? And he said, I'll wag my wings as I fly over. And he said, and you watch for the candy. And so he and his crew went home and they gathered up as many of the Hershey's chocolate bars and chewing gum that they could find. They took, they took handkerchiefs and made little parachutes. And sure enough, that next day, flew over, wagged his wings. They opened the door and they dropped out these parachutes with candy bars that floated down to the kids. Well, that was the beginning of a big start. And, and from there on out, people all across our nation began to donate candy for the kids of Berlin and all. And soon it wasn't just Gail Haverson's plane, even though he was still the lead on all of this. The other planes, and by the time all was said and done, all the planes were dropping candy with little parachutes. They dropped over 23 tons of candy and a quarter of a million tiny parachutes in that time period. He became known as the Berlin Candy Bomber or Uncle Wiggly Wings or the Chocolate Flyer, names he has cherished to this day. One of the Berlin children at that time, who's now grown, Joanna Last, remembers the aircraft landing lights shining through her broken window at night, every night. And then she made this comment. She said, I didn't mind. It was a reassuring feeling. You knew nothing bad would happen to you as long as they were there. In other words, as long as you saw the light coming into your life, you knew you were going to make it. Isn't that the story of, of Christmas the light of the world has brought us peace and hope in the midst of our conflict and our despair. Have you ever seen this clever play on, on words? Take a look at this. Just look at the, at the red letters first. No Jesus, no peace. Now add the white letters. No Jesus, no peace. So how do I find my peace in him? Try remembering this acrostic. Place every anxiety on Christ forever. You do that, and he'll fill you with his peace. Uh, may I share with you one of my favorite Christmas memories again? Thank you. <laughs> I've always believed that the peace and joy of Christmas is best seen through the eyes of a child. And sometimes a child's faith leads the way when it comes to Christmas. That this took place years ago <clears throat> in the early days of our family's life. Uh, Emily was probably about two years old, maybe just a little over, two and a half perhaps. And we set up the, the nativity scene as we always do. And I always place the sheep and the shepherd outside of the, of the manger scene because they're looking in, adoring at the, at the child. Well, this Christmas, I walked by later on that afternoon and happened to glance at the manger scene, and the sheep were inside the stable. I didn't think anything about it. I thought, well, maybe I just had misdone it, so I took them out, placed them back. About an hour later, they were back in the stable, and I thought, why is Elsie putting these sheep inside the stable? And so I asked her, and she, well, she didn't have a clue as to what I was talking about, so I put them back outside and then began to watch. And sure enough, a little bit later, Emily comes with a step stool, puts it down at the manger, climbs up, puts the sheep inside the stable. And so I asked her, I said, Emily, why are you putting the sheep inside? And she said, because sheep belong in a barn, Dad. <laughs> She's right. Sheep belong in a barn, not a baby. Sheep are at home around a feeding trough. But that's no place to lay a royalty. Royalty deserves better. 
But with such a humble birth and such a humble beginning, God demonstrated his incredible love and grace for all people. From the least to the greatest, he offers lasting peace through the prince of peace. That's what he's been talking about. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. For the past five weeks, we've explored these five names that, by the way, folks, are only five among some 200 names, titles, and descriptive terms for the Lord in Scripture. Each possesses a special significance and insight, but truly, truly, all 200 converge at one moment in one name, in one person, the name that means God our Savior, the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every feet, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. I'm struck by the fact that the angel gave the name to Joseph when he said, you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, what a beautiful name it is. Just a few weeks before Christmas, a young boy, Joseph Moore, was born in the year 1792. He was born in Salzburg, Austria. He uh, was born out of wedlock. His father abandoned him. He was taken in and raised by, interestingly enough, the last public executioner uh, in Salzburg, Austria. They lived in a rather humble circumstances. He got a lung disease because of the surroundings of the home. Never, never got away from that lung disease but he never lost his love for the Lord either growing up. And so at age 26 in the Christmas season of 1818, on Christmas Eve, uh, because of the weakness of the organ in the St. Nicola Church there in Salzburg, legend has always said a mouse had eaten the bellows of that organ. It's not true. The mouse didn't eat the bellows. The organ was just weak and had a lot of problems. And so he was pressed to come up with a, a song for the Christmas Eve services. And so he grabbed a poem that he had written about two years earlier, trudged through the heavy snow to his friend's house, Franz Gruber, and encouraged him to come up with a song that could be played on the guitar that would fit the words of the poem that he had written. And that night, Christmas Eve of 1818, Franz Gruber and Joseph Moore sang for the first time the most beloved Christmas carol ever. Silent Night. This weekend marks the 200th anniversary of the creation of that beautiful song. Joseph Moore died 30 years later in December of that lung disease, but his song has lived on a long time. In this 200th anniversary year, you need to know that it is the most recorded song in history. Well over 137,000 different arrangements in no less than 300 languages have graced this song. Silent night, holy night. Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth our hearts and minds sort of quiet when we hear the song or sing the song. And yet you may be thinking, but my life isn't quiet. My, my, there's nothing silent about my chaotic, hectic life. Well, that may be true, but in the, in the chaos, in the hectic nature of your life, there is peace if you know the Prince of Peace himself. 
I like how Max Lucado wrote. He said, are your nights not so silent that I encourage you to remember the angel's words to the frightened shepherds? Peace. For that night, the Savior of the world was born in Bethlehem. So, in the midst of holiday traffic, busy malls, loud family, and a hectic schedule, I hope you'll take a moment to receive God's greatest gift, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. When we receive him as our Savior, his peace is born in our hearts. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org/messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.